Now, as any parent of a new baby knows, sleep in those first weeks and months can be elusive. My guest now is Dr Bronwyn Sweeney, a clinical psychologist and honorary associate with Sleep Wake Research Centre and Massey University. She says there are lots of different books, consultants and sleep programmes out there. It can be overwhelming for new parents. She's here with some of the science about sleep and with some tips and tricks for how to encourage good sleep in babies. If you've got any questions for Bronwyn, do get in touch with us on text 2101. Email also 9toNoon at rnz.co.nz or you can tweet us at 9toNoon. Several of you doing so already. Hopefully we'll be able to get some of those questions. But first, let's get to Bronwyn. Kia ora, Bronwyn. Thank you for joining us this morning. Morena Susie, I imagine there's going to be an avalanche of texts. (laughs) I'm just, yeah, I'm just waiting for that avalanche to come and I have to say, where were you 12 years ago when I needed you? Um, What is is going on with babies' bodies? It's so hard to get this right, especially as a new parent, isn't it? Uh, It's really hard. And I think the first challenge for us is this big expectation to get it right. Babies, you know, their development unfolds in a particular way over time and it can be quite erratic. And uh, as parents, none of us want to muck it up. You know, most people are motivated to do a good job and, and, and um, you know, help our babies and help ourselves at the same time. But when babies come into the world, their, their biology is um, not quite in sync with the world that we live in. And if you think about our human bodies and brains, they evolved about 30,000 years ago. And they haven't really evolved a great deal since then. And we're trying to fit or shoehorn sleep in a 30,000-year-old brain and body into 21st century living with electric lights and work schedules and social media. And so, so, bef- so what to do? I mean, what is, I suppose, what would a baseline of, in quotes, normal look like? Mm. Yeah, so I think it's helpful to um, to learn a little bit about sleep. So I'll, I'll try and be quick because it's a huge and complex topic. But there's two two main processes that drive sleep. And when babies are born, those systems and processes aren't connected up. So first of all, it's just understanding that in the first six weeks, six to eight weeks, their, their sleep systems aren't really on, on full steam. They're, they're very immature. But one is sleep pressure. That's the pressure that we all have that we experience. It builds over the day. And then by the time we go to bed at night, it, it, it fades away. And sleep pressure is really high in little babies. So their first task is actually to learn the capacity or develop the capacity to be awake for longer. And the second thing is we all have an internal body clock and little babies' body clocks are not, again, wired completely yet, so they're quite erratic. Um, They also need to eat um, around the 24-hour clock. They need to feed regularly, and they need contact and sensory input. So expectation is really helpful to know that that, that those things are really normal, and it's going to take a matter of months um, right across the first year for those systems to develop more fully. And the best thing we can do is respond to our babies as much as possible. Just to give you an example, in a newborn baby, the range of what we consider normal sleep in 24 hours is 9 to 19 hours. And that will change from baby to baby, sleep to sleep, day to day. But you see, 9 to 19, is a, mm-hmm. is that such a mm-hmm. huge window, isn't it? It's so huge. It's so, I mean, the average sits at around 14 to 16. But even knowing that it can be that wide can be helpful. It doesn't take away our own, you know, 
drive and desire to get more sleep. And my first baby was very wakeful in the day and mm. that just wasn't in any of the books and I didn't know what to do. Um, Same. So, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, that, you know, the books all say they'll sleep for three hours and they'll wake for an hour and off you go. And so that's where the books and things can be unhelpful because they're not personalised to you and your baby. So you really need to look at you your baby, your context, how much help you've got, your everybody's wellness, kind of the temperament of your baby. And, and so first of all, just step back and really observe your baby and see if you can see what they're like and what little indications they're giving you that they might be ready to do certain things like sleep or like feed. Um, some of the things we can do to support it, though, is um, draw on that body clock. So we want to have babies exposed to lots of good natural light in the day, have the curtains open, um, be doing interesting things with them in the day. Not putting pressure on us. You know, interesting things for a newborn is looking at your face or going for a walk. Um, yeah. It's, and creating... I was just going to say, it's that sort of connection that can be quite hard when you're you're getting to know a whole new little person. And so it's it can be yeah. quite hard to work out what they want and, and what they like, yep. especially if it's your, your first you know outing with a baby. Definitely, definitely. And again, I think we, you know, it's, you go into this new job and there's no manual, there's no on-site coach or, coach or mentor, there's no pay, there's no sick leave, it's 24-7. And I think we kind of do think that we're supposed to have it all sussed quite quickly. And so taking that pressure off can be helpful. Mm. Babies themselves need to arrive in the world. I, I talk about the first four to six weeks of being arrival and survival. Mm. Really just focus on recovering from birth, spending time figuring stuff out and establishing feeding. Work on establishing how you want to feed your baby before you work on sleep. Because as you and I know, going to bed hungry doesn't work very well. Um, so it's about giving ourselves that time. In many cultures, there's something called... Um, well, in, in South America, it's quarantina. Um, there's a kind of lying-in period. I think in Chinese culture, it's called doing the month. But there's this period of six weeks, roughly, where, where parents, new parents are supported very intensely and closely to just literally arrive and survive. So food is brought. There's other adults around to help and share ideas. And that's this village idea. But again, in our 21st century society, we often don't have that. So we're kind of um, a bit stuck. Um, and we feel pressure doing this all on our own. So my first thing is, you know, try and take some of that pressure off yourself. Um, it's a bit like starting a new job and, and try not to, you know, put so much pressure on yourself. And pick one or two sources of advice that kind of suit you and your family setup and stick with that rather than endlessly trolling because the brain doesn't like uncertainty. Mm. And so when, when we're in an uncertain situation, we're really motivated to keep going out and try to find that one nub of information that's going to solve the problem for me. Um, and it's it's elusive, yeah. Yeah, it can be really overwhelming that. I certainly remember a, a bit of information that my dad gave me actually on this, which was put the books away. Yes. <laughs> which I yes. thought was actually a very good yes. bit of advice. Like, stop looking for the answer because you will not find it in there. Um, which, of oh, course, may or may not be true. Yeah, I, I think I think at large it's largely true because books, as I say, often just present uh, one scenario. Um, quite a few of the books that are out there are uh, not that well informed. Um, so, I, I, as I say, pick, pick mm. something that you think aligns with you, um, and and then spend this time getting to know baby. Uh, 
but also look at what support you've got around you because if you're in, a, in an extended family situation, you're going to do things very differently mm. to somebody who's parenting on their own or, um, you know, you know, at the moment trying to parent and, you know, work and do online Zoom calls and all of those things. Mm. Um, I, I think there's a couple of other things that can be really helpful for parents of new babies to just understand about what sleep looks like in little babies, mm-hmm. which is, um, as well as being very erratic, babies go through sleep stages and cycles kind of like we do as adults, but they they jump around a lot. So one of the things I wish I'd known 30 years ago was this concept of active sleep and quiet sleep. So when babies are in active sleep, they're actually very active. They snuffle and they grunt and they fart and they stretch and pull little faces and they can look like they're awake mm. or they're waking. And if we're an enthusiastic parent or if we're somebody who you know, really doesn't want our baby to get upset, we can dive in and pick them up. And the poor baby's like, oh, I was just, you know, I was having a great sleep. So um, understanding that they alternate between that and what we call quiet sleep, which is, you know, that sleep sometimes when you look at your baby and you think, are you you still there? Are you still with us? Mm. And the the temptation with those times is to go and kind of give them a wee poke. Um, So in both both of those situations, just watch, you know, just stand back, stay out of eye gaze because the baby's eyes can open and roll around and kind of say to to yourself, prove to me you're asleep, uh, you're awake before you dive in and do anything. And I think I would have found it really helpful to know that, you know, babies go through those stages and babies fall asleep through their active sleep stage. So a lot of the snuffling and grunting and things that we might not think they're actually asleep, they might be, but it just doesn't quite look like it. Mm. Um, and that's the kind of thing yeah. you would hear on a baby monitor and think, oh, perhaps they're awake, so you'd you know, Ex- rush in and get yes. them. Um, exactly. Yeah, quite a lot of people, the avalanche has started, by the way, Bronwyn. <laughs> Here they come. Um, but on the... I suppose one of the truest things I remember also about... Um, newborn well not just newborn sleep but baby sleep is that every time you think you've nailed it something will change and it changes again that the, that constant of change is kind of one of the hallmarks isn't it it is it is um and and this applies to us as adults but it's the change is less dramatic and less frequent but sleep is complex and sleep is dynamic which means that it's changing all the time in response to what's happening in our environment and in our own bodies and in our relationships and all sorts of things but we know that for children the most change they'll ever go through for humans the most change will ever go through is in the first one to two years and particularly in that first year so you're right um babies will start to you know some patterns tend to start to emerge by about four months by about eight months we see a little bit more consistency we see you know babies will happen often have one long period of sleep in 24 hours but it's at a really socially unacceptable time like 10 o'clock in the morning but by about six or eight months that tends to shift to the nighttime period and um and then, you know, by a year, they're having big, longer chunks of sleep at night. But it's still normal to wake at least once or twice at night. But you're right. So sleep keeps changing as it evolves and as the brain grows and develops. And it also evolves um, depending on what's going on in the environment. But it also seems to change for many babies, not all, but around the time of a developmental shift. So just before babies start to, say, roll over or sit up or wave or 
you know, start solids, we might see sleep changing and being really different to how it has been. We think, oh no, I just had it sussed, you know, I thought we were on a really good roll. And then suddenly we see this new behavior emerging and then maybe things will get back to, to how they were. So it's another kind of key hallmark and something to hold in mind. Nothing is surer than change. Mm. Now, I've got uh, a lot of comments, a lot of questions as well. I'll try to get through as many as we can. This one in, I have to say, Brace yourself. It says, I've never heard such a load of nonsense. I've three kids, 16, 14 and 11. I had no support because of remote living and I never had an issue. Not once. Well fed, burped, clean pants, into bed. I see mothers out walking miles with their push chairs with new babes and loads of stimulus. For heaven's sake... Fed, burped, changed back into bed in those early days. They're the most gorgeous creature you've ever seen, yes, but it's not rocket science. Establish your routines early. What do you reckon? Lovely. I think that's lovely. I think if that's what worked in that family, in that context, I think that's fabulous. And that's, for me, one of the most important things, is that people are approaching it in a way that is congruent with their family and their needs. Having said that, some babies come into the world and they are more rhythmic and they are more easily kind of shaped and guided in their sleep, and others just Mm. aren't, for temperamental reasons, for things to do with their development and for things depending on a mother's confidence or the parent's confidence. So, um, you know, I, I certainly don't come from a stance that babies sleep is a problem and an all babies sleep have a, or you know babies have a sleep problem I'm really kind of the opposite to that so I really try not to see mm. sleep as a problem that needs to be solved as far as the sensory input like I said you know sensory input is literally being in the pram and seeing leaves or being held being held and cuddled as sensory input so um it's great it's great when I love hearing stories like that <laughs> what about um I guess some people call it sleep training um controlled mm. crying yeah. It can be quite controversial. Um, what is your take on something like that for not like for a, a real little newborn, but for a, an older baby? Yeah, I think I think it's hugely controversial. I was just reading um, uh, something from a colleague recently who's actually received death threats for their um, their take on all of this. So it's hugely controversial. Uh, yeah, um, and so again, it comes down to what's right for the family uh, in terms of baby's physiology. In the sleep world, um, in the paediatric world, in the um, uh, psychology world, we tend not to recommend those those um, strong behavioural strategies in the first six months because of that need for feeding regularly and that need for contact and reassurance and things. Um, so you're talking about older babies. Um, I think it very much comes down to what the family want and can tolerate. Um, as a psychologist, I'm not really in favour of the full-blown cry it out because I think little people, it's really their own only way of expressing that something's up. We may not know what it is, but part of their job in the first year of life from a, life from a psychological perspective is to learn and trust the world and that someone will come for me. But the more um, gradual approaches, the, um, the intermittent ones, uh, the literature says that they can be really helpful, but there's definite camps. Mm. For some people, it's like the worst thing you could ever do, and for others, it's a lifesaver. And that's where it really comes down to your family, your context, cultural beliefs, all sorts of things will mm. impact where you fit. So it's kind of like encouraging parents to be confident about what choices they want to make. Speaking of controversial and different cultures having different um, 
senses on this kind of thing. I've had this uh, question in saying many cultures wouldn't dream of not co-sleeping with their infants, but Western culture can be different. Um, what is your take on that? Again, that's very controversial. And um, But different countries do have different takes. Uh, the UK is somewhere where that certainly used to be uh, recommended, encouraged, not here. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's um, So it's again, it's one of those 21st century things, I think, if we think in evolutionary terms, um, sleeping with, with all of our family very close to us would have been um, how we've evolved um, in terms of safety and um, you know, just, just how we've evolved. If we think about the population of the planet, I think probably the most recent um, review I've read of this suggests that the majority of the population share a sleep space for when babies are little so it's very common um i i'm not a, um, personally not a, against it at all i think what's where it's become a difficulty for us is in terms of um the, the sudden infant death rates and safe sleep so i'm of a view that i think if parents are choosing to do something like that as a as a responsive way of the way of you know dealing with their family and just to get some sleep or culturally or whatever great just be sure that you uh, are aware of some of the safety factors that go around that. But if that's not your cup of tea, that's fine as well. It's um, uh, where it can be problematic is when people end up doing it as a reaction in the middle of the night, very tired, and end up maybe in tricky situations. For instance, sleeping on sofas we know is, is a kind of a high-risk place, and that's because parents might accidentally fall asleep there. So. Um, I, I don't have a strong opinion either way. I think it's up to the family and their context and their culture. Uh, but we do just need to think about we've got these 21st century soft beds and things that we need to look at and think about where we might be doing that sleeping. Mm. Um also had a question in uh, from Helen about swaddling. Um, she says mm. she's confused about what to do because swaddling seems to be the thing, but she says um, Plunkett perhaps not saying not too much on that. So what would your sense be with swaddling? Some babies love it and some babies hate it, yeah. don't they? Yep, yep, I, I agree. And I, get, I think that um, one of Plunkett's dilemmas around this is, again, it's this idea that one expert will come down hard and fast to say yes and another to say no. So if we come back again to biological approaches and evolution, babies are used to being contained, especially in, you know just before birth and just after birth. So for some babies, that sense of being contained is really helpful for them. Their neurological systems produce lots of little startles and twitches and things, and for some babies, that's enough to wake them up. So um, I, you know, my mother was British, and, and I used to watch her tucking my babies in, and we didn't swaddle. Oh, we might have swaddled a little bit, but the way she tucked the babies in was as good as a swaddle. So for some babies, it's really useful. I think the current general thinking is um, if the babe, once the babies start rolling, then maybe think again about starting to take the swaddle away because the concern is about... Um, it being a, a breathing hazard. I mm. think that's where the main concern comes from. Dr Bronwyn Sweeney, thank you very much for your time. I'm sorry we didn't get to all the questions that many of you uh, did get in touch with, but Bronwyn Sweeney there, uh, an honorary associate with the Sleep-Wake Research Centre, also a clinical psychologist, some fantastic advice and great advice about getting to know your little one uh, as the first thing to do. Thank you very much for your time this morning on 9 to Noon.